You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Pfizer CEO Albert Berla joined the Washington Post to discuss the timeline for a safe and effective coronavirus vaccine and the state of the health industry. Let's listen. Good afternoon. This is Francis Deed Sellers for Washington Post Live. Thank you for joining us. I'm pleased to welcome today Dr. Albert Borla. He's the chairman and CEO of Pfizer, one of many giant pharmaceutical companies racing to create a coronavirus vaccine. He's a veterinarian by training and also a scientist. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Borla. Thank you very much, Francis. And please call me Albert if you don't mind. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll call, call you Albert. Albert. Go, go ahead and please call me Francis, of course. So, so you started human trials in May and have now moved into uh, late tra- stage, stage trials. What, what does that, that tell us about the safety and efficacy of your, your new vaccine? vaccine? No, this is exactly the trial that we're going to tell us if the product is safe and effective. Uh, a large study that started, as you said, a week ago, and is progressing actually very, very nicely. Just to give you, for your viewers also, a sense of how things are working, we are going to vaccinate to inject 30,000 people. 15,000 will receive the vaccine. 15,000 will receive placebo, basically saline. And no one will know if he received or she received the vaccine, not the patients that received it, not the doctors that they administered, not even us, because it's coded in a database that only a special committee has access. And then once we vaccinate all 30,000 people, we let them live their lives. And then we wait to see if they will get disease. And also we are monitoring every safety aspect that you can imagine in terms of this vaccine. So So when when the study has enough people that disease, we will will know know if it works works, and we will will know know if it's safe. How many people have already signed up and when do you expect to get to 30,000? We expect that uh, we'll get us in the early September in 30,000. I think we will be already the vast majority of them will be by the end of August. And tell me, what are the risks to them and how are they compensated if something in the unlikely event that something does go wrong? Well, it depends. If it is a safety signal that we will detect, like with all the studies, there is a safety data monitoring committee. This is a committee from experts that they are not part of Pfizer. They are key opinion leaders, they are university academians that they have access to the data and they are monitoring uh, specifically aspects of the study. If we have a a sign that something is wrong, obviously we stop the study to see what is going wrong. But uh, so far uh, we are already in the first week and uh, things are moving very, very nicely and we are in excess of 2,000 people that have been vaccinated so far. So we have enough uh, sample of people that that can can tell us if something goes wrong. So President Trump this morning suggested that a vaccine could be ready as early as November, perhaps even by November the 3rd. Um, What is your timetable, given this very accelerated pace you're going through, what's your timetable for delivering the first uh, available vaccines? And how many do you expect to deliver in 2021 to the United States? Yeah, both are great questions. And there are things that we can control as we are planning and things that we cannot control. What we cannot control it is if the study will be effective. What we can control is to make sure that we execute the study according to the plan. So if we execute the plan, the, the plan that we have right now, uh, depending on the efficacy of the, of the product, we will have enough people that get diseased 
by the end of September, beginning of October, that will tell us if the product works or not. And uh, if the product uh, works, we already have manufacture, started manufacturing so that we will have available quantities that will be readily available if the FDA review the results of the study and they feel that the, the product uh, needs to be approved. So from my perspective, October, it is uh, a timeline that uh, there is a highly likelihood that we will know if it works and we will have enough product to start distribution. You mean you would go for FDA approval in October or you would actually start distribution to governments around the world in October? We will go for regulatory approvals in October right. and we expect given how fast the regulatory agencies all over the world are reviewing those applications that we'll, we'll do it very quickly. But ourselves, just to be on the safe side, we have started manufacturing at risk. So we will have already manufactured uh, enough quantities. By the way, you asked the question. We believe that we will have this year approximately 100 million doses manufactured globally for the entire world. And of course, a big chunk of that will come to the US. And then, of course, we will also provide vaccine uh, in the rest of the world. So tell me about the, the proposed efficacy of a vaccine like this. Um, those of us who've had childhood vaccines know that a flu vaccine and a measles vaccine are very different things. Where do you think, given what we know about the coronavirus, your vaccine may stand in, the, in comparison with those sorts of vaccines? Look, I mean, uh, I don't know how we'll stand in comparison of those vaccines, but uh, FDA has already set some standards uh, that uh, they speak of a minimum of 50% efficacy for the product to be approvable. And uh, we are hoping that we will get much more than that. Of course, we wait to see how the results will go. But uh, right now, what makes us cautiously optimistic that we should have good efficacy it is that uh, the immunogenicity of the vaccine and the neutralizing titers of this vaccine, which means the ability of the vaccine to neutralize the, the virus, are well ahead of uh, those titers that people have the disease. So if you compare what someone who gets the disease and someone who gets vaccination, those that are getting vaccination, they have much higher protective titles. So that, that tells me that uh, we have a good chance to have a good efficacy. But again, October is coming and October will be, uh, uh, the truth will be revealed. But help me a little, understand a little better. Is this a vaccine you would expect people to get several doses of? Um, or would it be a one-off vaccine? And how long do you expect it to be effective for? Even if you get a very good result for the short term, how long do you expect it will be effective for? Again, excellent questions, both of them, Francis. Uh, the original vaccination schedule will be two doses. So in our clinical trial, we are using two doses for every person that we vaccinate, and we are uh, administering them apart three weeks. So someone will get first dose today, and exactly 21 days later, will get a second dose. And then uh, that's the vaccination schedule. Now, the question is for how, how durable this uh, effectiveness, if we prove that the product is effective, uh, will be. And uh, that we will study. We will follow those patients for at least two years so to know if they maintain their titers high and also if they have a disease um, later on. But um, if we will need to have recurrent vaccinations or not, 
will depend on multiple things. One, it is how durable the vaccination protection would be, but also depends also on the virus. If the virus will remain the same or if you will have mutations. The good news in both scenarios is that um, the technology that we are using right now in mRNA technology is uh, suitable for both scenarios. If the virus changes, this technology allows us to change the vaccine in weeks rather than in months without changing multiple things on the elements on the vaccines, just changing the sequence of the RNA that it is part of the vaccine. On the other hand, if we see that uh, after a year are going down and you need to boost, again, the mRNA technology allows you to do that. So, so you can boost in a year from now with one dose, and we do not expect, given this technology, that uh, this booster will not be effective and will not uh, take the immunity up, uh, which is not the case with all platforms. This is why we have chosen this platform uh, when we started our clinical trials. So two doses, how much will these, these cost and potential boosters? How much will people expect to pay for a, a Pfizer vaccine? Given the agreement that we have done with the US government, uh, the people will pay nothing. Uh, the vaccine, uh, we have now a contract with the U.S. government to provide them, if the vaccine is uh, successful, 100 million doses. And uh, we gave it to the U.S. government at, uh, I believe, very, very reasonable and low price, which is 19 and a half uh, dollars a dose. But the U.S. government will give it to the Americans for free. This is part of the deal that you made, that the U.S. government gives the vaccine to people for free. Yes, the U.S. government will give. It's part of their announcements, and we took that into consideration. That's why we provide them a price that uh, will allow them to do so. So do you expect to make a profit from this? Yes, we do expect to make a profit. And uh, it's uh, going to be, I think, reasonable and good. But uh, the most important thing is that we didn't think about it when we started. In fact, uh, Many people are asking me, what will be the price and what is the return on the investment you are doing? And I said, it's irrelevant. We are not thinking about it right now. The main goal right now, it is to make sure that we have a vaccine. And there are two enemies, the virus and time. Uh, we have reached a level that then government started asking. And that's why I start thinking about the price. And uh, if we were to price, obviously, the vaccine based on the value that it brings in the society, the price would have been uh, enormous. Because, the, uh, as you know, the economies are, uh, are hurt by trillions right now, not by billions. So if you can find a solution, it's very valuable. But of course, I think it would have been unethical for us to try what we normally do. When we price a product, we try to see what is the value that brings to society, and we price it accordingly. That was, is not the case right now. We are giving it a very, very small fraction of what the value is, but this allows also everyone basically in the developed world to access, uh, every government, I mean, the product and provide it at a very low cost or no cost as the US to the citizens of the world. So some companies took money for research and development. You did not, you made this deal that you have described, which is I think about an almost $2 billion deal. If your vaccine does not prove effective and you're already manufacturing, who fit? We do. We do. And uh, this is a very well understood uh, risk that we took uh, when we started. 
there was a real reason why we didn't want to take money from the U.S. government or from any government for this purpose. And uh, the reason, again, was that there were two, it was not a consideration of return on investment. It was going to be, of course, much higher if someone could guarantee that if you fail, the money is not paid by you. But uh, the concern was speed. And when you take money from anyone, one that gives the money needs also to, to monitor where you spend it, how you spend it, what are you going to do, how is your development program. And I wanted to liberate our scientists from all this bureaucracy. I told them, you have an open book, check, open checkbook, just go and find a solution. And they did. And I'm very happy that I did that retrospectively, <laughs> because we started uh, in May, as you said, we were uh, on, on uh, a week ago, we were the first ones. No, we were together with another company. Same day we went with Moderna into phase clinical trials. I don't think we would be able to catch up if we wouldn't do that. So I have a, uh, a viewer question that I'd like to read to you from Steve Abramson in New York, who says, has the financial guarantee from the U.S. government allowed Pfizer to begin manufacturing before FDA approval? No, we started manufacturing before FDA approval, but this is at our own dime. So if uh, the product uh, doesn't work, if we fail in manufacturing, or if the clinical trial uh, will fail to produce a safe and effective vaccine, we will have to destroy the inventory and write it off at our own cost. Uh, unlike other companies, we haven't received a single dollar or a single guarantee for, for our vaccine. So a number of other companies are obviously producing vaccines um, also at huge speed. Without getting too much into the scientific weeds here, why focus on messenger RNA? What sets your vaccine apart? I know Moderna's is the same, but why this technology? First of all, let me start by saying I'm very happy that there are multiple technologies that test out there. And also, I wish to all of the companies that are trying right now uh, diligently and with a lot of effort to bring a vaccine that will all be successful. Because this is not a race between us, as I said, it is a competition with the virus and a race with time. Uh, ourselves, we did have access to basically all the technologies. We have worked with adenovirus technology, for example, in our RNA, in our cancer vaccines. We have worked with uh, polysaccharides. We have worked with uh, um, uh, conjugate vaccines. We have worked with protein vaccines. For two reasons. One, it is that uh, the speed with which you can uh, follow um, variations or mutations of the virus. You can develop it very fast. And then if the virus changes, once you have developed it, you can very quickly uh, tweak it. This is a big characteristic of uh, influenza vaccines. As you know, every year, the influenza vaccines are different because the virus every year is different. With an RNA technology, which also we try to implement in a virus in an influenza vaccine, allows you to do that in weeks rather than in months. That's one. The second is that with this technology, you can boost very effectively, which means that once you give an additional dose, the immune response goes very, very high up because the vaccine doesn't create antibodies to the vaccine. It creates only antibodies against the virus. So these were the two main reasons why we selected this technology. But of course, nobody knows uh, if eventually we, we took the right bet. Uh, until we have the final study readout, we don't know. 
And I'm happy that other people are taking different bets because that gives multiple chances to beat the virus. So this vaccine will be delivered to a world that's polarized and fraught with uh, differing ideas about um, who should receive the vaccine first. What are your thoughts on this? Should the vaccine go to medical workers, older people? How should it be distributed? I will tell you something. I think that, first of all, the decision needs to be made by the health authorities of each country. I think we know well our vaccine and our data, and we should be uh, part of the consultation so as those uh, decisions will be made. That, uh, the decision should be made not by us, by, by those that they have the health policy as their responsibility. What I want to emphasize it is that we must let scientists decide who should get it first and who should get it second. They know how they make these decisions. They will get all the information about our vaccine and we should let all other factors, including social economic factors or politics, out of this decision. So my colleague Carolyn Johnson wrote a piece recently um, saying that the, the a vaccine won't be a magic bullet. We'll be living with this virus for a while. What are your thoughts about that? And in terms of that, how it should be deployed and what the best use of it will be going ahead in the immediacy of this crisis? Yeah, I tend to agree. I don't think will be the silver bullet, but will be a significant, significant advancement. I think from what we know so far, likely the most effective tool that we can implement. Certainly, in the beginning, when fewer of the population is vaccinated, we should not, I think, relax, and I'm sure that the authorities will not relax all the other measures that are needed, like social distancing, masks, etc. But the more we vaccinate, and the more we create herd immunity, and the more we create the majority of the population being uh, protected, then uh, the less, I think, the other measures will have to be implemented, and as a result, the economy will open. So you mentioned the issue of putting science first and trust in science. How do we make sure that people get vaccinated, particularly with a new vaccine and for an illness we know so little about? Uh, can you repeat the question? I'm not sure. Yes, I, yes you uh, mentioned the importance of trust in science. How do we make sure that people will get vaccinated and particularly with a vaccine, a new vaccine for an illness we know so little about? Yes, thank you. I think that uh, the number one is we need to leave the politics out of it. I think they create a very big uh, dangerous situation because they create the perception that maybe political reasons will advance the vaccine uh, and uh, not scientists. And that makes, obviously, understandable, people uncomfortable about that. So what I have to say to those people that I understand very well, it is, first of all, that uh, they should, we should all leave FDA to make it work. And we should leave also the EMA in Europe and the Japanese authorities and the Canadian authorities and all the other authorities that right now have signed deals and agreements with us and they will review the results of our vaccines, and I'm sure we'll review the results of all the other vaccines before they give approval. They are very, very competent people, and they are using very, very high standards. So as long as people know that the approval or not of a vaccine, it is subject to strictly scientific criteria that only the staff of FDA is implementing, I think that will be a very big um, win uh, for creating the right sentiment. Also, I want to send a second message. 
for those that they are reluctant maybe to do a vaccine. And they need to understand that this decision, unfortunately in this case, does not affect only their health. Unfortunately, by making this decision, they will become the weak links in the way that the virus is transmitted. And they will enable the, the virus to be there and they will risk society's health rather than own health. It's also something that they need to take into consideration. Is um, Pfizer also involved with the production of treatments? We have remdesivir and also some steroids. Um, nothing curative as yet. Are you involved in developing treatments? We are. Actually, we are. And um, we are quite advanced with a protease inhibitor, which is a, a viricide. So it's a, a medicine that will kill the virus. We are starting... Uh, clinical trials in the U.S. in uh, several weeks, I believe this month or maybe beginning of September. And um, so far, the preclinical data are looking very, very, very promising. But again, it's much earlier than the vaccine. So you've been running a lot of ads um, about putting science first. Do you really feel that around the world and in America in particular, people have given up on their trust in science? Why did you need to put out all those ads? No, I think uh, people have not uh, lose trust to science, and I believe that uh, this disaster, which is the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, uh, likely will enhance. And this is what we see also in uh, in polls and uh, research of uh, opinions of people that is enhancing uh, the 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 image of uh, of scientists and scientific organizations. Uh, including pharmaceutical companies, which are scientific organizations in the private sector. Uh, it's just that affecting the life of everyone uh, in a profound way, and this is why politics is getting around it. And then we have politicians speaking if one medicine is effective or not, which is, of course, is not the job of uh, politicians to do that. It is the job of the scientists. So one last question for you. I'm afraid that's all we have time for. It's a divided question. This political pressure, are you worried about it in terms of your own manufacturing process or that of other companies? And what has the pressure been like for you personally running a company like Pfizer? Look, the political pressure doesn't worry me at all because I don't feel it. Uh, no one is politically pressuring me right now. And uh, also we have made it very, very clear that uh, we are a company that last year celebrated 170 anniversary of existence 170 years ago the company was uh, was founded in brooklyn we, we have a legacy that we respect and we are not going to put out there uh, any product that ourselves do not feel our scientists do not feel that it's safe and effective even before fda speaks now it's a different story uh, how i feel uh, i'm a new ceo i came on board uh, last year in 2019 and obviously in my second year we had to deal with this uh, crisis and um, when billions of people around the world millions of businesses and hundreds of governments are investing their hope in the pharmaceutical industry to find a solution and you are the ceo of one of the leading companies i can assure you francis that you feel the weight on your shoulders and i do feel it uh, but uh, in, in these cases, I think what is the best to do it is just follow the purpose of your company, just following the purpose of existence of Pfizer, which is bring breakthroughs that change patients' lives. And I can't think of a breakthrough that will change more patients' lives 
than a vaccine against COVID-19 right now. Dr. Albert Borla, thank you so much for joining me today and for that um, personal note on which we ended our conversation. Uh, later on today, thank you for joining us. Thank you very, very much for that. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.